The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Hey, I never knew Kurt could play guitar. Mm, me neither, actually. Okay. Okay. I'd like to dedicate this song to Sinead, Daniel and Bertie. It's called Your Soul, My Soul, Our Souls. Did he just say? Yes, yes he did. Welcome to episode 49 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish and Street Catcher podcast that doesn't forget how many times it's been engaged or married, and apparently also doesn't forget how many times it's appeared on national TV singing competitions. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm going to cry a lot this weekend. Really? Why? Yeah. Well, and we end- punch in the face. <laughs> well, there's that. But Endgame comes out, Avengers Endgame, and I'm preparing to go and see it. And I know. Lots of people are going to to die and come back and I'll be an emotional wreck. And then the Game of the Thrones this weekend, longest battle in on TV or movies in history is happening Sunday night. And you just know people are going to die that we love. <coughs> Jorah. Oh, poor <coughs> Jorah. Gendry? Maybe. I hope not. Fingers crossed. Miss Day and Grey Worm are both going to die. Yeah. At least one of them will. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out which one I'm going to miss least. <laughs> Stop. Bedrick. Bedrick's going to bite it. Mm-hmm. In the Game of the Thrones. I'm interested in the Game of the Thrones. I am, too. You're not interested Don't in Don't give this. a shit about Marvel. <laughs> I am. I'm not going to go and see this movie. No, but you're not. This is responsible for a, a slight change in format <laughs> of, of this week. What we're doing is we're recording this super early on Friday evening. We haven't watched Friday yet. You're going to go to the movies. Uh-huh. I'm going to watch Friday. Yeah. Then you're going to come back for the movies around about midnight and we're <laughs> going to finish this podcast. So we're just going to go through Monday and Wednesday. Yes. In one chunk. Yes. And then we'll do Friday separately. Correct. Because that's a great way to do this. <laughs> and my throat's sore. Yeah. So we should just record this tomorrow and not even worry about it. I've got other things to do tomorrow. I've got uh, other exciting things to do tomorrow that are podcast related. Oh, really? Like, oh, yes, yes, you have an interview to record. Yeah. Ooh. So that's something exciting to look forward to, isn't it, Helen? Yeah. You won't be able to do it, which no. is unfortunate. You've got it other is. stuff to do. Yes, Girl Scout stuff. So I'm going to have to do this flying solo. Yeah. Off the rain, off the chain. Let's, mm-hmm. let's hope I can stick it together and hope that our Skype... You can do it, Chewy. <laughs> let's hope that our Skype <laughs> connection is maintained. This is the first time we've done an interview. I wasn't really planning on doing interviews when we started no. doing this. I yeah. didn't really see it as being... Uh, an interviewee kind of podcast. No. No. We spent enough time doing this. <laughs> Let's just Seriously. do the show and get out of here. Exactly. But we're we're bucking tradition and we're going to do something a little bit different yes. next week. So yes. look forward to that. Yes. Here's a fun fact for you. 
What? One of her sister podcasts, the SpongeBob Squarecast, one I do with my 10-year-old stepdaughter, your daughter, daughter, Steli, that was the number one TV and film podcast in the Cayman Islands for a week or something. (laughs) Really? (laughs) That's crazy. I know. What? It's number 26 now. Oh. (laughs) That's bizarre. As far as I can make out, it's been downloaded five times in the Cayman Islands, and that's enough to send it to number one. It's there. I can see the chart. Ta-da! <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Oh, you're stealing, <laughs> you're stealing my catchphrases. I am. Our mailbag. Uh, we got an email from Steve this week. Congratulations to Gavin on his citizenship and Helen for marrying an American. Gemma's inadequate Ooh. packing for the caravan holiday brought, a mind, brought to mind a story on this week's Danny Baker programme. I listened to this at the time. It was pretty funny. Did you listen to it? I don't think you did. I don't think I listened to it this week. He asked the audience for tales about inadequate packing for holidays. Oh, no. One was about a family who went for a week's camping holiday in the Lake District, which is uh, kind of north of England and mm-hmm. wet and windy. The young son in the story packed his own stuff in his carry-on bag. The family flew into Newcastle Airport and the son's bag was pulled aside for inspection. And instead of being full of clothes and other essentials, he was carrying only a coconut and his entire stamp collection. A coconut and a stamp collection. This is what happens when you let children pack their own bags, as we know. And and don't check them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they don't think they need underwear. No. Or <laughs> socks. Ne- never crosses their mind. Well, that's typically boys. I don't know. Is Stella any better? Yeah, she tends to be better. Then we heard from Teaser. We haven't heard from Teaser in a while. No. She said, I had to fast forward through those Gemma and Chesney scenes in the caravan, and that's not like me, she says. No. <laughs> I kind of yeah. wish we had been <clears throat> able to fast forward, but we can't because we watch it, so you don't have to. <laughs> then we heard from Barbara, a new uh, correspondent. Gemma marching through the field with that hat umbrella was the funniest thing that she's seen for a long while. That was pretty funny because it's just her tromping through the fields with the stupid thing on her head. And her flailing arms. Right, yeah. That was the funniest part of the whole caravan extravaganza. I hated every moment of that, but that was probably the bit that got past marks out of all of it. Yes. Then we heard from June. It's not the same now. I don't mind if I miss it. Stories are awful. Gemma needs to go. (laughs) Poor Gemma. I I don't want her to go. I just want them to write her better. And I think they've actually been writing her better this week. Yeah. I've enjoyed her more. She's gone back to her old kind of Gemma self a little bit. Yeah, a wee bit. And the 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 Gemma drama this week is at least kind of realistic. Hindsight Corner. Was Wayne always played by Adam Barlow? No. No. <laughs> the first head he had in the early 2000s belonged to Gary Damer. Yes, who was also Ginger. Yes. Yes. Did you? Did I show you his picture? No, but I looked it up myself. Oh, you did? You, <laughs> you actually looked something up? That's not typical, is it? No. You're so interested to see what young Wayne looked like. <laughs> no, I was, just... I was reading a different article about Coronation Street and the Corypedia. And that was like the next article, so I just clicked on it. What you drinking? Nothing. I'm going to a three-hour movie. Oh, <laughs> you're preparing by not you're drinking. Be dehydrated. And I'm okay with that. I have <laughs> a Heineken zero 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 zero. These are the best non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic beers, beers by yeah. quite some margin. Excellent. Love these. <laughs> 
Cool. Okay, okay, shall we dive in then? Yes, please. Now, I haven't had a chance to put my notes in order because we didn't decide on this format until five minutes before we started recording it. So <laughs> forgive me if I jump round about a little bit. Our first storyline from Monday and Wednesday is um, Sinead and the X Factor. It's Bertie's christening and Tracy can't be arsed with it. It's on a bank holiday, so she should still be in bed. Steve is shocked to discover that he's been lumbered with getting the gift. Ken's morning also starts badly when he gets a letter from the council. He's been fined for letting his dog shit in the street. Okay. It's an email. Was it an email? It's printed out because you don't get mail on a bank holiday. But you get email? Yeah. Well, he's just printed the email out. He probably got it like yesterday. Which would have been Sunday. You don't get mail on Sunday either. I don't know. Nobody's working for the council. No. It's been 20 years. <laughs> Claudia is sheepish and denies any knowledge of it, and Ken's taking this up with the council. So then Daniel and Sinead are getting ready when the Tinkers arrive. It's Sinead's mum, Arlene, and her great aunt, which is Beth's mum, Nancy. Somehow Sinead has already got her hands on the Tinker christening gown, which pleases mum. And it doesn't take long before Daniel and Nancy are arguing about religion. So this bodes quite well. Yay! Beth is a peacemaker who won't let anyone spoil the day. Good luck with that, Beth. Yeah. Then we skip the church part of the christening, and we actually skip most of the naming ceremony as well. We skip all of the naming ceremony. And we jump straight to... And Billy doesn't come to the... Reception. Reception. What's up with that? Maybe he's getting his hole. (laughs) Sure. Because nothing makes you horny like christening a baby. Yes. So Beth's utterly butchering the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. It's like she's never read anything aloud before. Yeah, and that was supposed to be part of the naming ceremony, but there doesn't seem to be any sort of naming ceremony going on. You get the poem and then people start eating and fighting with one another. Sinead and Chesney have a nice wee scene where she's chuffed he's godfather to Bertie. And Daniel is keen to know if everyone has written an advice card for Bertie. Well, that wasn't phrased particularly well. No. Kirk has. His advice is, don't aim too high and you'll not be disappointed. Aww. Arlene thinks that's lovely. <laughs> Ken, on the other hand, thinks that it should be more encouraging. He's currently ruminating on the perfect nugget to offer Bertie. Oh, God. He's a perfect fucking nugget. <laughs> he Beth- steps in perfect fucking nuggets. <laughs> Beth suggests... Oh. <laughs> Beth suggests try not to be an indecisive, judgmental old git. And Claudia thinks that's out of order. Beth thinks Ken was just having a pop at Kirk. And Tracy suggests that Ken's just in a bad mood about the dog shit thing. And <laughs> Beth is shocked. Shame on you, Kenneth, she says. And he insists that he's innocent. Later, Ken's still doing his dinger about the dog shit thing. Someone provided photos and he wants to know who. Damn Cla- it. Claudia, a mix of guilty and frustrated, tells Ken that she'll take care of it. But this does little to calm Ken down. Then Steve arrives at the naming ceremony. He claims he had bothered getting a present and Tracy reckons he got something cheap at Dev's and then spent half an hour in the pub. His breath stinks of mints, which Tracy calls a smoking gun. Ew. Ew? Breath full of mints. Ken's going through the gifts that people have got Bertie. Who the fuck bought fake tan? And seemingly, it was Nancy who thinks it's safer than sunbathing. Ken reckons that this is unconscionable. Who buys fake tan for a babe? Just... Nobody would do that. No, it's... Nobody would do that. No. It's it's like, how can we make these people just seem the trashiest people in the world? I know. Let's have them bring the baby fake tan spray. Or pierce his ears. 
I don't like seeing babies with pierced ears. Yeah. Then Nancy suggests that Ken would be happier. Oh, that was very judgmental of me, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Tough. <laughs> Nancy also, suggests. Also, I don't. I don't know many people who pierce their baby boy's ears. Oh, that's very sexist. Yeah, I'm being sexist right now. Y'all. Nancy <laughs> suggests that Ken would be happier if Bertie got skin cancer. Or just, you know, keep the baby out of the sun. Yes. What, is he going to go out of, is he going to Spain to to get a, to sit on the beach for the next four months? No, I don't, I don't think there's plans to so. do so, no. Sinead begs for calm, no more arguing or she's going to chuck them all out. Then it's photo time at the ceremony, Beth wants one of her and Sinead on her phone. Nancy can't take it because she's too gassed and Ken insists that he's more than capable. Despite this assurance, he fucks it up and instead brings up Beth's photos. He demands to know why she has a photo of his dog, Claudia, and a big pile of poo. Hmm. I don't think a big pile of poo would describe anything that comes out of Eccles. Eccles is tiny. Somebody made the comment, I can't remember who, or I'll give them credit, but I read somebody give the, make the comment that there's no way in the world that that shit came out of that dog because <laughs> it was massive and Eccles is toty. Yes. It was like the whole length of poor Eccles. It would have started off sticking with his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Beth says you reap what you sow and accuses Ken of public shaming her when he stood in peanut shit. Ken says he was trying to help her and then points out that Claudia should have picked it up. Kirk thinks that it looks like a lot for a wee dog. Oh, that's that's mm-hmm. who said it. Kirk thinks it looks like a lot for a wee dog like Eccles. Beth wants an apology and Sinead doesn't think their families are ever going to get on. Oh well. The families have retreated to their own corners and Kirk wants Beth to apologise. Steve wants to go home, but Tracy can sense that it's all going to kick off again and then the cake is peeled in, which means there's going to be a food fight. Woohoo! Steve thinks that Beth will, will throw the first piece. Tracy's money is on Claudia. And they and they place a bet and they shake on it. Five pounds. Hilarious. It was quite funny because as soon as you saw the cake coming in, us as viewers are thinking, Uh-oh. well, that's going to get thrown about. Yeah. Because it's like, they made such a big deal of wheeling it out. Right. So it was quite nice and meta for Tracy to basically say what the audience was thinking. Exactly. Nothing's going to bring these families together. And then a troubled Kirk spies a guitar in the corner. <laughs> Sinead announces a cake and Daniel spots that whoever made it missed the apostrophe in Bertie's name and spilt... And spelt christening wrong. Yeah. Two S's. No T's. And no T's. Beth is surprised Daniel didn't spot it earlier, what with them being so clever and all that. Ken and Beth argue about whether it's Daniel's fault, as Sinead cuts a cake, and Tracy makes sure that Claudia gets a piece. That was funny as well. And Steve yeah, makes, makes sure, sure that Beth gets a piece. <laughs> the argument escalates, and Claudia wants Ken to give it a rest. Beth calls her gobby. Tracy stirs it up, and Claudia loses her rag and throws her cake at Beth. Tracy is chuffed to bits and punches the air. Good fight, <laughs> shouts a random tinker. Then there's a wail of feedback and the strum of a guitar and Kirk, who's now shirtless and wearing a waistcoat with his tie around his head, asks if they're ready to rock. <laughs> I'm ready! Kirk announces that he used to be called El Kirko and Sean doesn't think that's particularly inventive. Kirk reminds everyone that a lot of people have ruined today for Sinead and Daniel, which humbles Beth and Ken a little bit. Kirk dedicates his song to Sinead, Daniel and Bertie and it's called Your Soul, My Soul. Our Souls. Our Souls. And I kind of started howling laughing at that. that was, yeah, we I both started to it. chuckle. And then, and then Tracy says to Steve, did he just say? And Steve says, yes. yes. 
Yes, you did. Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm just so perfectly timed. And I'm kind of used to recently, Kirk chooses really strange moments for his, for being Kirk. Yes. Like the mini cheddars in the factory. Right. And there was another thing that happened last week that was, or the week before that was kind of inappropriate. Yeah. I think he said something when they were having a meeting talking about the future oh, of the Oh, yes, factory. he was trying to open those crisps. Oh, the uh, yeah. poke scratchings, yeah. yeah. And it's like, this is kind of serious. Right. And by letting Kirk be Kirk in these moments, it's just, it's kind of annoying. Yeah, just a wee bit. But this was perfect. Yes, it was. This was one of the funniest things I've seen on Corey in, in quite some time. Right. And it was, it worked, you know. Yeah. It was just enough. It was kind of believable that somebody would just, you know, my family's fighting. What do I do? Yeah, pick up a guitar, and start singing, and it's totally and believable that, that yeah, that he would think that this is the right thing to do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So everyone kind of looks down into the side, and uh, Kirk starts singing. He's El Kirko now. Our souls are beautiful, he says, and Beth has never looked more confused. <laughs> Later on, Kirk is now singing about the zoo and his shopping list. His songs have brought everyone together. Beth worries about the unusual lyrics, but Kirk says he is his own lyrics. They touch people's hearts. And, and they're arseholes, apparently. <laughs> a joke that would not work on a American television show. No, it requires a Manchester accent. Absolutely. Because our is kind of pronounced ah. Right. Ah, lad. And I'm going down to see ah, mum. That sort yes, of thing. That sort of thing. That was a particularly bad Mancunian accent. I do apologise. It was much better than your South African Sweet one. <laughs> the tinkers later on are out of their tits on the booze. No more family do's, thinks Sinead and Daniel. Ken gives Tracy and Steve a hard time for mocking Kirk's lyrics, and Ken calls Kirk brave for what he's been doing, uh-huh. and this seems to win Beth round. Yeah, of course. They apologise to each other. Friends, asks Ken, holding out his hand. No, says Beth. And as Kirk as Kirk. Ken. As Ken is about to react badly to this, Beth says, family. Family! And gives him a big old hug. Big old hug. Big old hug. Well done. nice. Well done, Kirk. Yes. He, did, he brought the families together. Exactly. And Claudia's on the sidelines and she doesn't seem particularly pleased with this. Did you notice? No, I didn't notice that. Yeah. She seems to not like the fact that Ken is now getting along with the Tinkers. So... Probably because it means that she has to get on with them now. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So that was Monday, so on to Wednesday now. Uh, outside the factory slash community centre, Kirk and Beth are having a cuppa. Kirk is still talking about his songs. He's found his true calling, he says, and he bursts into song. And he's uh, not quite as good as he was on Monday. No, he's, shall we say, a little pitchy. Yeah, he's slightly out of tune. Because Beth's ears start to bleed. <laughs> Kirk wonders if he has the X factor. His lyrics connect with people. Beth wonders if he should stick to the X Factory. Mm-hmm. Although concedes uh-huh. that uh-huh. it has potential but needs luck. Right. Then later, back outside again, because they don't get any work done, Kirk thinks that Beth is right and he should and he should start at the bottom and work his way up. Meanwhile, Beth has got a letter from the council about the rebate. Paul pops in and says that a lot of people are talking about uh, Kirk's performance and that he should do a turn at the Rovers to have a St George's Day thing. Mm-hmm. Beth thinks that he should only do paid gigs. And right. says that she's going to be his manager. Yes. So later, Ken meets Beth and Kirk on the street, and Kirk announces that he's having a hard time finishing the lyrics to his latest tune. He needs a rhyme for Labradoodle. <laughs> Noodle. Canoodle. Poodle. Canoodle. 
Mm. Boodle. The town of Boodle? Mm. Mm. <laughs> Ken can't help. He's not in it pop music, except for maybe the Kinks. Which... Kind of puts me off the Kinks a little bit. Yeah. It's a weird flex, but that's all right. Kirk's found a bunch of old tapes of him and Maria singing and playing music together, but he can't play them as he doesn't have a tape player. No. And Ken says, oh, I can help you with that. I've got one. They can borrow it once he's done with his errands for the day. And then, strangely, Beth initially asks for Ken's house keys so they can go in and get it themselves. What? Yeah, well, since they're all family now and all. <clears throat> but then uh, she settles on disturbing Simon, who apparently is still at home studying for his exams. Correct. And then Kirk is now boring Cathy at the Rovers about his singing tapes. It's, it seems that they got the player from Ken and have listened back and it's better than he remembers. Particularly TLC's Waterfalls. Kirk thinks that he makes a good Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Rest in peace. He's merging R&B with 80s ballads and he can play some if Cathy likes. But Cathy makes her excuses and leaves to the bar. Then along comes Beth who's had a run with the council. It seems that she's lied and said that she was a single occupant to get the discount under council tax. Now they want the back pay, plus a fine. She owes them shed loads. Kirk is fine, this is not a problem, because he's about to be famous with his songs. Right. Jenny overhears this and asks him to do a turn for free, but Beth sends her packing. He needs to get paid for his work. Right. And that takes us to the end of Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So who knows at this point... Who knows? If anything comes up on Ooh. Friday. I'm quite excited about this. Remember the last time that we had a uh, Friday where I wasn't able to watch and so you you just told me what happened and tried to trick me. Oh yeah, told a lie. <laughs> yeah. I, I warned you up front that something, something I'm going to tell you won't be true. Yeah. So I can do that again. I quite enjoyed that. You're such a good storyteller. Oh, well, thank you so much. You are welcome. So we won't talk about where that's going. No. Not in, yet. In case something happens on Friday when we watch it. Correct. So our second storyline tonight is Gary and Sarah, and I've kind of had to squish in a bit of Seb into this, because okay. those stories kind of overlap quite a bit. And then on Wednesday, I split them out. All right. So that just makes this even more confusing. Correct. And number eight, Gary tries saying it with flowers to Sarah. He's late and sorry. He promises that things are going to be different, no more lies, and then immediately he lies when he tells Sarah that the loan shark is no one that she knows. It looks like this relationship is well on its last legs. Correct. Can't say I'm too bothered about that. No. I'm I'm quite pleased with it, actually. Yeah. So Jenny and Seb bump into each other on the street. He's handing out flyers for his new business, doing mm-hmm. jobs regular people can't do and builders don't want to do. Well, as it happens, Jenny's toilet's fucked, so she hires him right on the spot. Yay! Meanwhile, Cathy and Brian have got a ton of cash to pay off Rick. Brian plans to haggle the amount down, and Sarah, who meets them, doesn't think that that's a wise idea. And when they leave, suddenly the most naive couple in the world, Sarah's on her phone. I presume she's on the phone to Gary about this. Mm. Yes, because of what happens later. And then Sarah sees Alex at Roy's Rolls. He's worried sick about Cathy and Brian going to see the loan shark. Sarah wonders why he got the loan in the first place, and Alex thought it would be okay because Rick is Gary's friend. And Sarah realises that she's been lied to. Again. Yet again. Mm-hmm. Cathy and Brian have found Rick somehow and hand over the 300 quid that's owed. There's still interest to pay, says Rick. It's another 50 quid. So Brian hands that over. Rick thinks it's still not done. There's penalty clauses and admin fees. And Brian thinks this is ridiculous. And Rick calls them troublemakers trying to rip him off. And for that, Brian hides behind Cathy. Well done, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then Rick says the loan will be redeemed eventually and he orders Brian and Cathy off the premises. When Cathy refuses, Rick says they're trespassing and he grabs, I think it was a snooker cue or something to beat them up. Mm-hmm. Then in storms Gary. Rick thinks it's bring an asshole to work day or something and right. insists he'll be lifting 20 quid a week or whatever from Alex's account for some time. That seems like a strange thing to do. Right. Why does he care? Right. He's got his money. How much money does he think Alex is going to get? Right. Seriously. It's totally not worth his while. Yeah. He's just trying to weasel as much money as possible out of this out of this deal he's probably upset that they're they're paying it off because that means no more interest yeah can accrue off 300 quid right it's just why what a terrible villain this guy is why yeah seriously supposedly he's got all of these old dears and other people that he's loaned money to so you would think this would not be that big of a deal he's got bigger fish to fry you'd have thought so you would think but no. Nope. <laughs> How He's you still afford- got to find Irish Tina and get her money. Yeah. How you can afford to maintain that chin on such meagre income? And Susan the idea. houseplant. Remember Susan the houseplant? And was it Sharon the heavy? Presumably she's getting paid. No, no. She's paying her oh, own she's debts paying, off. He's paid, she's paying that off, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, Rick thinks that he's got the bank card and passport from Alex and Gary is quick to disabuse Rick of this. Ha and, ha. Then, and then he and Brian and Cathy flee, leaving Rick to shake an angry fist at them all and say this isn't over. God, Ugh, please. please let this be over. <laughs> That's exactly what I've got written. <laughs> and the Rovers, Seb's fixed the lavvy and Jenny pays him handsomely for his work. In come Rita and Paul for a quick drink. Jenny's disappointed that they don't want food. The place is dead and it's Easter Monday and she's overstocked. Rita suggests that they do something for St George's Day, which Jenny thinks is a great idea. And Seb says that he'll be happy to help with the decorations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Then comes some random looking for Jan. She needs her wa- her washing machine fixed and Jenny recommends Seb because he's a plumbing genius. The rando is Rachel and she takes him up on it. Yeah, so she wasn't rando at all. We know what she looks like. Well, now we do. We knew Did already. We know before? Yeah, because remember she, she tried to pull the wool over uh, Nick's eyes. And everything for stealing her best. Remember, she. This is. Is that her? Yes. Oh my god! I had no idea that was the same character. <laughs> I thought it was a hair salon that she had. This is a nail salon. Yeah, hair and nail. Oh, oh well. Yeah, interesting. Most, most hair salons also do nails. This is just blowing, blowing your mind, mind, isn't it? Total news to me. <laughs> I did think it was strange that she has a relationship with Jan where she kind of knows that he's in the pub, mm-hmm. but doesn't seem to have his phone number. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Although this week in Corey, nobody seems to be answering their phone. No. So, like you said, Rachel owns a busy nail salon, and hair salon apparently. Mm-hmm. She shows Seb to the washing machine, which Seb, st- which Seb starts to fix. He needs a pair of long nose pliers though, and he doesn't have any. Along comes a girl with an Eastern European accent who'd have some tweezers if he's looking to take care of his nasal hair. Yeah, that's not what he's trying to do. Seb begs her to cover for him if Rachel comes back. Say he's gone out for a part or something. He really needs this job. And the girl eventually agrees. I'm not sure all that was necessary. Just leave his tools and it'll be obvious that he'll be back, no? Yeah. Yeah. We find out that the girl is called Alina. Yes. She's got quite a twee little accent, doesn't she? Yeah, it's a kind of soft, it's decent like European. Holding her nose the whole time. <laughs> you think so? Then Gary gets home and finds that Sarah has black bagged him. She knows about Rick, the guy who was in this house playing with her son. Gary's sorry. 
Sarah doesn't care. She's sick of the lies. And Gary thinks that she's been unfair. After all, he saved Brian and Kathy today and took a beating for Alex. And Sarah's quick to point out that they're all involved in this because of him. Correct. He could have stopped it. Yep. Gary says everything he did was to protect Sarah. Too bad. So sad. Buckle up, buckaroo, she says. And she gives him back the engagement ring and tells him once and for all to GTF. That's correct. Meanwhile, Seb meets Eileen in Roy's roles. He tells her about needing the pliers and Jan's not back yet. Uh, so Eileen tells him to try Gary and sends him off to go around the yard. But Gary's not at the yard. He shows up at the barbers and tells David that Sarah has kicked him out. And David's quite pleased by this. He calls Gary a liability. Gary wants David to put in a good word, but David tells him to bolt. Correct. Then Seb sees Gary at the yard and asks for Pat's tools. Uh, Eileen said it was okay. Gary tells him about the robbery and how he has nothing. No van, no business, no girlfriend. No tools. No tools, not even a kettle. And he the, is a tool, though. It's very much so. And they both apologise for uh, the shitty water that's flowed underneath this burning bridge. Correct. Brian goes to Roy's Rose to tell Alex that he's off the hook thanks to him and Gary. Nice of you to do that, Brian. Yeah. And he says to him, what does he say to him? He says to Alex, now you know what to do in the future when you need money. And Alex says, casino! <laughs> yes. And he's like, no, not casino. You come to me and, and Kathy. Yep. Then Jan is home doing Eileen's dancer-size video. Which was, was strange. cute. I liked that. <laughs> Seb comes in and tells uh, Eileen about Rachel and Jan is okayish about Seb stealing his job and goes to get those smegging pliers. Eileen asks about Pat's tools and Seb fills her in on the Gary situation. Yeah, although, yeah, he's under the impression that they've been stolen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't know anything about this loan shark thing. No. But Eileen is still pissed. Yep, and she gets on the phone to Jason. I thought at the time that Jan behaved quite strangely when Seb told him about the the salon. Yes. That he seemed, oh, I better go and take care of that. And Seb's like, no, I got it. Very quickly. Yeah, and then here's the scene that you've been waiting for for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Where Brian fills in Rita about Rick. Yes. There's a name that she never thought she'd hear again. And Rita warns Brian away. Mm-hmm. Back at the salon, Seb is flirting with Alina. He seems to have left his wallet behind as he tells her about the St George's Day thing at the Rovers tomorrow. Rachel pays Seb and off he goes. Then later in the Rovers, David is glad that Sarah dumped Gary and offers to set her up with someone else, like Ali or maybe Dev. No. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Sarah doesn't want to go out with Dev and tells David that he's not her pimp. Correct. And then Gary sees Eileen on the street and he asks if she locked up the yard because he tried to get in earlier and he couldn't. And she confirms that she did. And not only that, it's officially up for sale. Gary thinks he can turn it around, but Eileen's not interested. He's ruined her son's business and she'll never forgive him. Nope. Then with nothing to his name, Gary sees Sarah walk by on the other side of the street. Ha ha. Then on Wednesday, Bethany and Sarah are talking about Gary bringing Rick into their home, which didn't actually happen. No. Rick no. just arrived. But right, yes, but it's because of Gary that Rick knew where they lived. So it's still his fault, even if he didn't lean him in. I said, wouldn't you come in, please? Would you yes. like some tea? Mm-hmm. Sarah worries about telling Harry that Gary's been booted out. Harry doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> He's like a baby. Doesn't yeah. care. Uh, well, apparently, Harry's been thinking of 
Gary is a father figure. Really? No. Sarah's having no second thoughts, though. Gary's bad news, and she's done with this shit. Then Gary's meeting Izzy at Roy's Rolls. She put him up for the night, and then they don't seem to have discussed why he was kicked out, because they do so here when Izzy thinks that he's been playing away again. Mm-hmm. In comes Sarah, who sees him, and then she immediately leaves. Uh, Gary insists to Bethany that he was just trying to take care of his family, Ugh. but Bethany thinks that there's no way back. Ugh. And then And then Gary does the most disgusting thing ever seen on the show it's just so gross the way he gets bethany to talk to sarah and and what he says to her in order to do so yeah he equates his situation with her grooming yes which is just so disgusting and just gary was never going to be my favorite character but at this point I'm totally done with him. Mm-hmm. There's no way back from that. It was just so gross, the way he manipulates her. How did he even frame it? I can't even remember how he framed it. It, was, <sighs> it wasn't something it like... Memory. It was like, you know, how you got into a situation that, oh, that you had it, no yeah. control over, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it was when, so gross. When you were manipulated and groomed and sexually assaulted. and Right. Here's me, I had to get a loan shark. Right. Yeah, Which was my own the... choice mm-hmm. to Cause do. Because those things are the same. They're not. Uh, so Gary does this to get Bethany to speak to her mum. He says that he loves her, and then Bethany says, so why do bad things? Sarah comes back with the last of her black bags and says that she, it feels like she's fumigated the house. Mm-hmm. But despite this, Gary still reckons that she loves him, and he's in with a shout, and he can put it right. No. Yikes. He's so dumb. At home... Oh, Bethany is good to her word and tries to bring Sarah around to give Gary another chance. It was an honest mistake or whatever. He clearly loves Sarah and maybe she's been harsh. Sarah's like, what the fuck? She doesn't think so and she storms upstairs. And then Sarah and Bethany are at the rovers and Gary sidles along and pays for their drinks and follows Sarah to sit down in one of the booths. Bethany whispers to him not to mess this up. Sarah isn't impressed that he got Bethany to big him up. He lies and says that he didn't. Oh, Jesus, God, it's just... What? He just can't help himself. He really can't. But Sarah, luckily, she sees right through it. Gary can't believe she's willing to throw this away. What exactly are they throwing away? This is, I don't Have know. they ever been happy? Sarah says that she's heartbroken about this, but he did it, not her. Gary promises to change. He's sure that she still loves him. She says it's not enough. She can't get over it. And that takes us to the end of Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Then story number three is around Chez and Gemma. Oh, we're not going to talk about the Seb part. I'll talk about that later. Okay. Oh, should I do that just now? We might as well, since we've already started it. Okay, so here's what happened with Seb on Wednesday. So he gets home and he talks to Jan about the cute girl that he met at the nail salon. Jan tells him to keep his mind on the job. They talk about St George's Day and how it's mostly about putting up flags and getting drunk which sounds exactly like Poland's National Day, which involves getting drunk and then putting up flags. Correct. Jan likes the sound of it, but Eileen is more in the mood for a curry. Then Alina arrives at the rovers with Seb's wallet that he left at the nail bar and didn't notice was missing for more than a day. Yeah. If I don't know where my wallet is for 30 seconds, I lose my shit. It's got everything in it. You lose things all the time. The current location of your bank card... I don't know. <laughs> you know where your car keys are, though, right? They're yeah, right here. There we go. 
Your work pass? No idea. <laughs> to be fair, that's something that I never need to use because I work true. from home. Yeah. yeah, my all my trousers have my wallet shape <laughs> indents the- in their pockets. Always the front pocket though, never the back. Yeah. Don't trust people who put wallets in their back pocket. They're for the watching. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> what did we get to with us? So Seb and Alina are doing the pub quiz. Seb is, I don't know if this is insulting her or not, but he's impressed that Alina knows that St George is also the patron saint of Lithuania and Portugal. She says that she should head home. Well, she's impressed because he doesn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's thick. Right. Or just doesn't have good general knowledge. Right. She has a strict landlady, but Seb talks her into having a quick bite to eat with him. So Jan and Eileen are eating at Speeddal. They talk about Eileen's sons and Jan reveals that he has no children. So that kind of is either a lie or closes off the possibility that Alina is his daughter. Which I I kind of thought for a while. Yeah, I didn't. In comes Seb with Alina and Jan sees her and kind of tries to hide down the back of the couch. Eileen makes a cheeky comment about the two of them romantically sharing a drink when Alina panics and runs out. And Seb blames Eileen for being insensitive and embarrassing the girl. Right, but Which, it's really because she saw Jan. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Intriguing. Yeah. So that's as far as we get with Seb and Alina on Wednesday. Correct. So now let's jump to Ches and Gemma. Yes. On Monday at Chesney's, Gemma wants to talk. Ches doesn't want to do this in front of Joseph, and then in comes Craig and Kirk to go to this stupid christening thing. That we never get to see. Correct. Gemma is too hungover to go, and this is par for the course, says Chesney. And she's in her mermaid onesie once again. Yeah, with the... Um, with the shells for the boobs. Yep. <laughs> I like that. It's always cute. makes me chuckle. Yeah. I like it. I'd wear that. Then Rita and Paul come round to see Gemma, and uh, we discover, or they discover, that the holiday was a disaster. It was meant to be lovely, and she ruined it, just like she always does. Rita tells her to work at the relationship, and Paul tells her maybe making some dinner for Chesney coming home would be a good idea. Oh. She tries to rope them into making fish pie, but Rita says Gemma is the one that needs to make the extra effort. Correct. She was the one that uh, ruined the relationship, but Chesney did become extremely boring when they were going out. He was already boring. This is it's true. just that we got to see more of him to realise that he's boring. At the naming ceremony, Chesney calls Gemma and leaves a message on her phone to give him a call back. Again, there's an awful lot of that these days. Phoning somebody and leaving a message. Mm-hmm. Does no one answer the phone anymore? Nope. And he goes off to get Joseph. So then Ches and Joseph get home and Gemma wakes up on the couch and the place smells of smoke. Oh God, the fish pie's been ruined. She wanted to surprise him and Ches tries to make her feel better and tells her to lie down, but she wants to clear her mess up. Mm-hmm. Ches dumps his keys and phone and takes Joseph upstairs for a bath. That poor kid, I don't know how many baths that kid has. A lot. It's like three or four a day. Yeah. Ches gets a text from Tyrone and Gemma sees the notification which says, I can't believe Gemma missed the ceremony. What a nightmare. And then Gemma, just like Rana, is crushed. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. Oh, that's so horrible. But also funny. I'm feeling a little, <laughs> a little sheepish about that one. Am I going to try and do something like that every week? Yes, probably. Never if you try. Until this whole Rana thing. Yeah, yeah. And then the Rovers, uh, later on, Rita is sitting with Gemma. She tells her that the fish pie was a disaster. 
She's decided that he's better off without her. He thinks that she's ruining his life, and she thinks that he's changed. She only seems to make him angry these days, and it's not working. She thinks that she's ruined the relationship and also the friendship. That was quite sad. Yeah. But they're better apart. Yeah. Then on Wednesday, Gemma's home from spending the night at Rita's. She doesn't think she can work today, and he assumes that she's either hungover again or still hungover from the caravan holiday. Right, because she says, I I haven't been drinking. Mm -hmm. She insists that she's not. Joseph needs picked up early today, so Gemma's going to need to do that. He tells her that she's an alky, and again, she insists that she's ill, and Chase storms out. Yeah, and he's rather condescending about this whole alcohol thing. Like, look, it's all right. I'll support you if you want to get help. But then she's like, no, thank you. Yeah. He gets mad at her. Yeah. <laughs> and he says that uh, he likes her drink, but then his little internal alarm goes off and says, oh, I have to get Joseph up. And right, yeah. So he stops. And, uh, it was very condescending. Yeah. Because she, she says, I didn't drink, and he doesn't believe her. Mm-hmm. It's a, a rather toxic relationship. We bit. Then Paul catches Chesney with some stuff left in the caravan. Paul confirms that Gemma didn't have a drop to drink last night and Emma is out for a jog and asks how the holiday went. Chess calls it a disaster and tells her about getting tells her about Gemma getting bladded in the village pub and then going in the wrong caravan and now she's hung over on the couch. So it's like he's not even believing Paul. Or no, that she she got so drunk on the holiday that she's still hung over from it. Right. Is what he's thinking, which just doesn't even make any sense. It's like let it go. Yeah. Emma has a cure and we'll pop round with it later for her. Which is nice of and Emma exactly because Emma does. is lovely. Yeah. It's Umi and apparently it stinks, but Gemma is still prepared to give it a go. Then she wonders why Emma thinks she's hung over and again insists that she's ill and Emma says that she's been speaking to Chesney. They talk about the holiday and Gemma thinks that she just gets on Chesney's nerves now. She's off for a lie down and asks Emma to do her a favour. Then Chesney's home... And she sees, and he, and he sees. sees Gemma asleep on the couch with no sign of Joseph, and leaps to the wrong conclusion. Gemma wakes and explains that Emma picked her, picked him up for her, and at that, as Gemma says that she thinks she should move out, Emma and Joseph arrive back. And Joseph, much like Rana, <laughs> is crushed. <laughs> oh, that's my joke. <laughs> I'm stealing everything from you tonight, but Alan. Then Chase gives Emma some cash and asks her to take uh, Joseph out for a bit. Gemma, poor kid just keeps getting shoved out the door, isn't he? If he's not getting bathed, he's getting shoved <laughs> out the door. Gemma, though, uh, Gemma thought that living together would be fun, but it's like prison. He thinks that she's an alky, he doesn't trust her with his son, and he thinks she's a lazy slob. She read as much in his text to Tyrone. Chess tries to take the moral high ground in that, but all it did was spell out what Gemma already knew. He asks her not to move out, she says that she should never have moved in, and then she leaves to get some fresh air. And she leaves to get some fresh air around it. Rita's. Mm-hmm. Going out with Chess has aged her, she says. <laughs> There's no use doing something that makes you unhappy, says Rita. And then she feels Gemma's head. She has a bit clammy right enough. Gemma says she puked up five times. Let's hope you're not up the duff, says Rita with a chuckle. And Gemma thinks this is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, they both think it's hilarious. They both start laughing. And then all of a sudden, Gemma's like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. She starts counting backwards. Yep. She's late. Then Gemma does a test and waits with Rita on the results when Paul comes in. And when he sees what they're doing, he calls it just like the good old days. (laughs) She used to buy them in bulk. (laughs) I don't know if he's kidding or not. Uh, Probably not. 
Then the result comes in. She is indeed knocked up. Paul is flabbergasted. Rita doesn't know if Gemma needs congratulating, and Paul thinks this might bring her and Chesney back together. That never mm. works. So Emma brings Joseph home, and Ches admits that he's, uh, he sent some uncharitable text about Gemma to Tyrone, and she and he don't work. It was easier when they were just friends. Rita thinks Chesney should be looking after Gemma, and she needs to tell him. Paul asks if that means that she's going to have the baby, and Gemma looks thoughtful, or as thoughtful as Gemma can look. Oh. Oh, that was cruel. It was. Then Gemma is back at Chesney's. He apologises for earlier. Gemma is ready for the big talk. But before Gemma can say anything, Ches says that he loves her, but the relationship is a disaster, and he hopes they can go back to being just friends. An upset Gemma thinks that they can, and they'll look back on it, she says, one day, as just a big, stupid, massive mistake. Oh. Gemma. So Gemma's packed her stuff for as much as she can carry. That's that, she says. They shake hands and Gemma's about to leave when Joseph asks where she's going. Are they splitting up? Gemma deflects Aww. and takes him out for a battered sausage. And when they're out, Gemma says that uh, the two of them can still be mates, but Joseph is going to miss her in the morning to make his toast and he calls his dad boring. <laughs> Everybody thinks that Chesney is boring. Gemma says the house will be nicer when she's not living in it. It'll be quieter and there'll be no m- more arguments. And then along comes Chesney, and after seeing her being lovely with Joseph, he tells her that she's going to make a great mum one day. Ugh, 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 just a stab to the heart. <laughs> More patronising. Oh, you don't worry, you'll be a great mum one day. Yeah. And Fuck it's off, just... Chesney. Suck my balls, says <laughs> Gemma. Driving the nail in further, you know, because she's heartbroken, and she's going to be a mum a lot sooner than Chesney thinks. Yep. Ugh. And then finally, back at Rita's, Gemma says that she's been dumped. Paul wants to knock Ches out. Imagine dumping his sister when she's up the duff. But Gemma says that she didn't tell him about the baby, or Sprog, as she says. She doesn't want him with her because he feels he has to be. And that's as far as we get on that story. Yay! Then on Monday, there are just a couple of very brief scenes about educating Abby. Yes. At Roy's Rolls, Abby has one of those types of conversations with Faye who tells her that the best way to get out of a current situation that you don't want to be in or your destiny is through education. Right, because she's just like, I just need to get out of this place. Yeah. At the cabin, Faye has talked Abby into asking Brian to be uh, her tutor again. Brian says that he's too busy and Faye makes a case for Abby and after such a heartfelt plea, Brian can't refuse and he immediately gets her to do some homework. Mm -hmm. And that's all that happened. And nothing happened with that on Wednesday. So far, so good. So now we have on, that's all of Wednesday, month. That's all all, Monday. That's all Monday taken care of. On Wednesday we have a couple more storylines. The first one is Peter and, oh in fact we just got one more, because I've already done the Seb stuff. Right. Peter and Carla. We're rattling through this. Yeah. Are you, you're not interrupting me as much. No, I am interrupting you just as much as I always do. do and it's f- not interrupting, it's having a dialogue about the show because <laughs> yes. you don't do it by yourself. Yes. Peter and Carla then. Johnny and Jenny are dressed up as St. George and I don't think I know who Jenny's supposed to be, just, just a medieval rando. woman type thing. Yeah. Well, no, wait. When St. George slays the dragon, isn't he saving a princess as well? I have no idea. This is English mythology. It's Catholic mythology. English Catholic mythology. Yeah, and you are neither. Neither. (laughs) 
His armour looks a bit loose on him. There's lots of stuff has arrived from the fancy dress shop. And then Johnny threatens to shoot an apple off Jenny's head with a toy bow and arrow. Ha ha. Ha ha. Great stuff. Ha ha. Yeah, that, that mm. suit of armour just does not fit Johnny at all. It makes him look like Humpty Dumpty. It gets worse. <laughs> and number one, Peter is still trying to find Carla. Ken thinks he's covering old ground and making himself ill. Carla wouldn't want that. Simon agrees that Peter is wasting his time and he has a better idea. Mm-hmm. So on <clears throat> Friend Connect, Simon has created a missing person page with a photo asking for information about Carla. Simon's going to post it and then record a video that they can DM to that page. Right. Peter, for whatever reason, isn't sure, but Simon insists. Peter's message is relatively unimpressive. No. He pleads for Carla to get in touch. Yes. And then with a tearful sniff, says how much he loves her and asks her to come home. Simon posts it and immediately gets a response. Like, immediately. It's already been shared. How exciting. Then later on, Peter's at the Rovers. He's uh, through the back talking with Johnny and Kate. He says he's been back on the phone to the police. Have they found anything, says Johnny, who's sitting on the toilet. (laughs) Push for the head. (laughs) (laughs) That was wise. My throat is so sore. Yeah, stop that. You've got a sore enough throat without doing your Johnny impersonation. Peter says no and fills in Johnny with Simon's online idea that Peter reveals he doesn't think is going to work. What's his problem with that idea? I don't know. Because driving around aimlessly was providing much better results? Well, because it wasn't his idea. He doesn't think it's going to work. Remember, Peter has to be in control of this whole situation. Seriously. Jenny says it'll only work if she wants to be found, which Peter reacts very badly to. Yeah, stupidly. Obviously, she doesn't want to be found. That's why she ran away in the first place. That's why they haven't found her. People don't run away because they want somebody to find them. Unless they say the words, chase me. Right. Or they're playing hide-and-seek. Correct. And to the best of my knowledge, neither of those things are true. <laughs> Correct. Johnny tells Peter that the only fighting that will be done today in the Rovers is with swords on that dragon piñata. Mm-hmm. Can a dragon be a piñata? Of course. I thought piñata had to be a <clears throat> donkey. That is incorrect. Oh. We've Remember when we had that piñata for Benny's birthday? That wasn't That wasn't a donkey. Wasn't it? I thought it was. No, it was, um, wasn't it Mario from Mario Brothers? Because that was a Mario Brothers party where we all were wearing mustaches, remember? Oh, yeah, and we beat up those Italian people that we found, remember? (laughs) We beat up some mushrooms. We did something with mushrooms. (laughs) Then Peter's back home, furious with Jenny. Ken tells him to get over it. Peter reckons something awful has happened, and then Simon spots a reply online. Someone claims to have seen Carla. Simon says a guy wants paying before handing over the information. So alarm bells are ringing immediately about this. Right. For, for, for everyone. everybody but Peter. <laughs> because Simon doesn't even want to give him the information. No. Ken suggests going to the police, but Peter's done with the police and demands to know the address. It's the estate that Carla grew up on. Ken thinks it's a scam and Peter says he can look after himself and refuses to call the police because they'll arrest her when they find her. Well, wouldn't they arrest her when he finds her? Or are they going to run away? Ken goes to call the police anyway, but Peter tells him to forget it. He's going to be the one to find her. Again. Right, yeah. Peter has to be the one in control. Yep. All the time. So at the Rovers, Ken has explained to Johnny, who looks a little like a distressed turtle in his oversized armour. <laughs> it's just this totally wee head poking out. Yeah, he looks like a, a 
<clears throat> a turtle in a turtleneck, if you know what I mean. Oh. <laughs> That's even worse than my Rana stuff. Because that creates images that I don't really want to have in my head. <sighs> Peter is off to see a dodgy blog about Carla. Johnny thinks that they should call the police, but Ken says that Peter begged him not to. Johnny knows the estate and is about to head off when Jenny and Kate stop him. Peter is foolish to go around and Jenny is there to stop Johnny from doing foolish shit like this. Right. He's an old man with MS. Mm-hmm. What the hell does he think he's going to do? Well, he's wearing armour, so I guess he's got that <laughs> in his favour. Is Peter wearing armour? No. No. So Peter's at the house and it's abandoned, boarded up, looking. it looks very horrible. Yes. And doesn't exactly scream legitimate information Although can be found here. Although not as horrible as a Paddington crack house. No, 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 not quite. But in the house there are a couple of dodgy guys who want Peter's money. He gives them it and demands to know where Carla is. One of the guys says that she doesn't look so good. She's off her head, which made me think that they do know where Carla is. Mm-hmm. That's why Peter's looking for her. And then the police batter on the door. The dodgy guys do a runner and Peter goes to chase after them. But a policeman grabs him and holds him back, telling him to calm down. Calm down. He also gives them his watch. Or does he almost give him their watch? He's about to. I don't know if yeah. he did. He's like, that's a nice watch. It's like, really? Yeah. You think Peter's wearing a nice watch? Yeah, maybe. Not that I'm, nice I'm surprised they didn't want his dodgy bracelet. Or his beard. <laughs> or his Ooh, earring and his eye patch. That's a nice beard. <laughs> Said Johnny. And his parrot. <laughs> Captain Haddock. Oh. So, the final scene on Wednesday then is Peter at home. He's furious at Ken. He accuses him of phoning the police. Simon tries to intervene and backs Peter up. No. no. Backs Ken up. Backs Ken up. And Ken says he's innocent of this. But Peter doesn't want to hear it. He calls Ken a liar and then tells him that he's ruined his chances of ever finding Carla. And if that's the case, he's never going to speak to him again. So, Ken, fingers crossed, they never find Carla. <laughs> And and si- when once it gets to that, Simon kind of backs off trying to support Ken because it seems like Simon was just about ready to say, no, I'm the one who called the police. It's either Simon who's phoned the police, I think. Yeah. Or he's, Johnny. He's called the police. Simon called the police. He was very concerned about. Right. Yeah. He didn't want to give his dad that information to begin with. Yeah. You know, once he started reading it, he started regretting it immediately that he said anything to him. So... Yeah, it so, was Simon. So I said on the Twitter earlier on in the week, or maybe on Sunday, that I had a suspicion that last week was so bad because this week they've saved all the great stuff for. Yeah, and it, it's been pretty good. So far, I've really enjoyed this week. Yeah, Certainly so Certainly in comparison so with, with last week, there's been yeah, some, absolutely. some great stuff. Some stupid stuff. Yeah, but even the stupid stuff works. Yeah. It's stupid stuff that works. Yeah. Once the stupid stuff works, then it's okay. The only thing that didn't really work was was Peter's tan. Oh yeah, we didn't mention that, did we? No. I tried to take a screenshot of the last time we saw Peter, which I think was ten days prior to him turning right. up this week, and I didn't really have a good before and after, and I couldn't get them the same size, and they wouldn't line up. But Peter's been looking for Carl in Tenerife, by the looks of things, or somewhere in sunnier climes. He's come <laughs> back with quite quite, quite the, the complexion, yeah. yeah. So, oh well, that was funny. That was funny. So that's as far as we've got. Yes. We've got up to Wednesday. Yes. You're about to go and see whatever the fuck that movie's called. Avengers Endgame. Is this the end? It's the end of this piece of the saga. Oh, so it's not the end. Well, it's never going to be the end because we've got like 80 years of comic books to 
hash through. Oh Jesus. This lasts for three hours. But a lot of a lot of the characters, this is their last movie. Or a few of the characters, this will be their last movie. I know that it's this is the end of Cap of Chris Evans' Captain America, so something's gotta happen to him. Well that's a is that a spoiler? Do we want to say that? No, because I think it's pretty well known that he posted on Twitter a few months ago and and in all of the interviews he's done, he's like he's been mentioning the fact that he's really going to miss playing Captain America. So we don't know what happens to Cap in this movie. Or maybe just somebody else plays him. Right. Which happens in the comic books all the time. That's why we have a number of different characters playing spider-man for example or robin even though that's not marvel that's dc but that's how i knew that there have been five robins when we were at the pub quiz the other night and i was the only one at the table that did because you can't be arsed <sighs> about comic books no doesn't interest me at all uh, so thanks to the miracle of pressing pause we will be back momentarily with our <laughs> thoughts on friday. friday but in reality it'll woot, woot. probably be well into the early hours of Saturday morning when we finally record this. And I can watch it. Oh, before you go? Yeah, we've you... got an hour. Oh, okay. Let's go do that then. We'll be back. And we're back. <laughs> Hiya. Some uh, four hours later. Yeah, but you got to walk down and have a delicious Abe's burger. I didn't walk down. Oh, you drove down? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I did that. I came back. I edited the first part that we recorded. Oh, see? So that's all done already. I discovered that I said, welcome to episode 43 in my <laughs> opening, rather than welcome to episode 49. Ooh. So I had to River. get creative and find somewhere else I'd said the word nine <laughs> in the podcast, which I managed to find. Why didn't you just come in here and record yourself saying, welcome to episode 49? Where's the fun in that? <laughs> Well, we saw a brilliant movie that didn't feel like three hours. Sally was sad at the end. I got nothing. Yeah. Um, and there was a guy in the back that was drunk and was shouting at other people, calling them gay and, well, actually, oh. no, fags. He said he called somebody he didn't know a fag. Like a person or a character? A person in the theater. That's... I hope you complained. Lots of people complained and they threw him out. Oh, thank goodness. It was it was towards the end. But there were, like, towards the end as well, there were parts where he started, like, yelling, you know, about certain characters and their future. And it was just, I'm so glad that he didn't start doing that, you know, earlier. But there were lots of places where, like, the whole theater broke out in applause and shouts and woohoos. So it was great. Oh. It was great. Loved it. I loved it. So back to more important things. Coronation Street then. <clears throat> let's throw it in mind. Yeah. Hanging by a thread. So let's get through this as quickly as we can, shall we? Yes. So on Friday we have four storylines to go through. Let's start with Chess and Gemma. On Friday Rita has made Gemma muesli, which Gemma thinks is like wallpaper paste. She's not <laughs> She's wrong. She's not wrong. Paul arrives with a lemon that Gemma throws at Rita's tits. Mind my whatnot, says Rita. And Rita thinks that Gemma should go and see the doctor. Paul thinks that she needs to tell Chesney. 
Gemma reacts Paul well. I think she's supposed to suck on a lemon when she's sick with morning sickness for some reason. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. It's not. Gemma reacts well to these instructions. Oh no, she reacts very badly. <laughs> so Gemma is handing her key back at Chesney's and Paul is helping her move her rack of clothes. In comes Ches and Paul says that they have things to discuss but no one seems to be listening to Paul. No. Ches apologises for ending it like this and Gemma is just glad it wasn't dragged out and then she leaves. Correct. Then Ken is walking Eccles again and sees Gemma who's ready to pass out. Along comes Ches who insists on taking her to the medical centre and Chesney says, I know you thought this was just a hangover. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. You're the one who thought it was a hangover. She insisted quite tit. quite dramatically that it wasn't a hangover. Seriously. And this was like one of the very few times that you see Ken Barlow be a sweet a sweet old grandpa. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Doesn't normally interact that much with Gemma, does he? No, I don't no. think so. You'd think that Gemma would be the kind of person that Ken wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. But as somebody who's about to pass out right, right at his door, yes. so... Under those circumstances. He was but very it's kind. gone on for too long, says Chesney. And the medical centre, Gemma wants Chesney to go back to work. He's just another ex now. Get back before Dave fires him and he reluctantly goes. Fires him again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then at the doctor's, Dr Gadas is being quite lovely with Gemma. Mm-hmm. She needs to arrange her scans and stuff and Gemma can't get her hand round this. She's worried about getting wasted at the caravan and she starts to cry. What's so her parent would do that, she asks. Right. And Dr. Gadas is quite motherly to Gemma, yes. saying that she's probably five weeks preggers and advises her to be healthy and lay off the booze now. Well, that's the easy bit, says Gemma. It's the raising the kid that's the scary bit. Well, welcome to parenting, says the doctor. Yes. No one has a first fucking clue what they're doing. That's true. And she reckons that Gemma will be fine. Yes. Cheers, Doc, says Gemma. And then Chesney's waiting at Rita's when uh, Gemma comes back from the doctors and Gemma blames it all on food poisoning. It's a 24-hour thing. And she tells Ches once again to go back to work, which she eventually does. Right. And then Gemma tells Rita that she plans to keep the baby. Yes. And Rita is quite made up about this. Yes. She gets a grandchild out of this. Well, sort of. Right. Well, yes. A quote-unquote grandchild out of this because it feels like Rita is more or less adopted Gemma as she is. Want to do to adopt various wayward ladies of the street. So, Chesney's bound to find out. Well, yeah, eventually. Sooner rather than later. I would hope so. I wonder how he's going to react to this. I think he's going to be upset at himself that he broke it off with her. Is that going to be enough for them to get back together again, or do you think this is it? I kind of think it's it. I hope it's it. But, you know, this is the kind of show that wants people to believe that a baby makes it all better unless it goes horribly wrong. If they do get back together again, Gemma really can't go back to being the Gemma that she's been over the past few weeks. No, and that would make sense because um, having a child makes you a different person, both physically and mentally, so... Which is what Dr. Gadas was kind of trying to get to Gemma. You know. Right. So. Well, we we'll shall see. see. There are developments to come. Yes. Paul seems quite thrilled to be an uncle. Yeah, he did seem quite pleased about the whole yeah. thing, didn't he? Yeah. That was nice. It was nice. The lemon thing was weird. Let's talk about Seb now. Well, Eileen's Seb is still annoyed with Eileen. She doesn't think that she did anything bad unless uh, that Alina is uber sensitive 
And she blames Seb's technique. <laughs> Down comes Jan, who agrees with Eileen that Alina might have the hots for Seb, and Eileen has an idea for continuing the relationship. And her idea seems to be to suggest to Seb to go along in the salon and get his nails done. Did did Jan think that Alina has hots for Oh, can you sit any higher? Seb? Oh, did, part, partly did, not. Did he? Yeah. He was just he was kind of dismissive about it. Yeah, he seemed really dismissive about it. I didn't think he was very encouraging at all. Yeah, Eileen asked him if he thought Alina had the hots for Seb, and he was like, sure, whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was like neither positive nor negative. It was kind of neutral. So Seb, ties, so Seb turns up at the salon and he sees Alina and announces that he's there to get his manicure, so she tells him to take a seat. And Seb is quite enjoying this manicure. Alina says that Rachel is at another salon, apparently. And then she reveals that she misses Romania, what she calls a beautiful country. But she likes it in Weatherfield. And that's it. It's all done. And Seb wants to spend more time with her. And he's about to ask for a pedicure. Eesh. Yikes. When Alina says, oh, I don't want to see your feet. I'm on a break <laughs> and I'm going to just hang about outside for me. Right. So Seb goes outside and he's about to take his meds when Alina comes out and catches him. She wants to know what he was taking and why he looks so guilty about it. She demands to know what's going on. And Alina thinks that Seb is on drugs and he insists he isn't, but it's a long story. Come back home for a coffee and he'll explain everything. So back home after fashion, Seb admits that he has HIV. He's not a junkie, he didn't sleep around, he caught it from his first girlfriend, Lacey, who didn't even know that she had it. Until she died. Yeah, she died in a, a bike accident, he says. <laughs> Unlucky, says Alina, and Seb says they'd been broken up when it happened, but he feels guilty for feeling worse about his HIV than about her dying. But this isn't a death sentence for him, so long as he takes his meds. Correct. Seb says he's not infectious, so, you know. <laughs> Alina, but Alina needs to go, but before she does, she nicks some biscuits. Yes. Well, Seb isn't looking. Correct. What's that about? She's very hungry. Apparently so, hungry for the biscuits. Just and hungry in general, and the biscuits are the things that are available. Yeah, so she nicks two or three of them, and then she agrees to meet Seb later, and they smooch. Calling each other... Hot. Hot stuff. That's hot. So... Hot. It's kind of nice to see Seb happy for a change. Yeah. Yeah. Better than that mumpy moaning faced bastard that's been... Right. ...cutting about for the past few weeks. How long do you think that's going to last, though? Not long at all. <laughs> I'll give it until Monday. What do you think about Alina? <sighs> I don't want to be spoilery. Oh, you have some inside track on this, do you? Mm, I think uh, I'm. I'm pretty sure that your assumption that you posted on your speculation that you posted on the Twitter uh, the other day, I think, is correct. Yeah, there's something. There's a connection with Jan. There seems to be some kind of past between the two of them. Yes. Or some such. Our penultimate storyline. Off the night, just a few scenes here. This is this is a strange little thing. This about Moira and Mary and Jan. Yeah, I don't like this. What the fact that you're breathing through your nose really close up to the microphone? Yeah, I don't like that either. No, no, this whole maybe throwing Mary and Jan together. That you know, that kind of looked like that's how it was. Head, but let's get through it. Right, so, but we've Moira, got Eileen. Come on, Eileen. Is he coming on, Eileen, though? He was. 
That's why they're living together. No, that's Although not why they're living not... together. Well, that's why... I don't know if they're a thing anymore. Were they, a... they were a thing, very, very they, briefly. They were, they were they starting to become a thing. And, and then, then they came back. Yeah, now he's come back, so you'd think that they would get something started again. I don't think they've officially done that. Anyway, mm. Moira and Toya are at the health centre talking about how hunky Imran is. Well, how he's got a nice tight arse and his thighs are manly and meaty. And Toya says it's about high time you get a man of your own. Seriously. And this gives Moira something to think about. Seriously, Moira. It's it's, it's kind of uncouth to talk about another woman's man parts with that woman. Yeah, she doesn't really have much self-awareness. Tact, does no. So... Outside the florist, Mary is loading flowers into the van when Jan comes herring round the corner on his bike. He rings his bell a couple of times, but a startled Mary falls back into the van with her wee legs kicking away good style. She's hurt her arm. Jan is apologetic and Moira comes along as a first responder running from the medical centre. Are you alright, she asks, but then it transpires that she's talking to Jan, not Mary. Jan wants Mary to see a doctor and Moira leads her to the medical centre. Mary is fucking furious about this. She seriously is. Uncharacteristically. She's, she's giving Jan a really hard time about this when it was obviously an accident, but it seems like Tracy's making her do all the work in the florist these days. Yeah, so. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. So Jan arrives at the medical centre to check on Mary and Moira continues to hit on him. Jan wants to know if Mary is okay, but she's worried her days of manipulating puppets might be over. Aww. And then later, Moira and Mary come into the rovers and Moira spies Jan, who offers to buy the ladies a drink. But Mary is still too angry. How's life on planet Jan? asks Moira. And she reminds him that she's still single. Hmm. He just wants a quiet pint and wishes her a good weekend. Yes, and doesn't end up paying for the drinks. No. And that's the end of that. Correct. So, yeah, it did seem that Jan and Mary were... Oh, Jan was overly... uh, Concerned. Well, well, I think he's overly concerned because he doesn't want to get in trouble for hurting Mary. But like you said, Mary was uncharacteristically upset about this, you know, and and quite angry and doesn't seem to want to give the anger up, which makes me concerned that this is going to turn into something else. Okay, okay. So before we start the last story, what speculations of any do you have about Kirk and the X Factor and Gary and Sarah yeah because we don't have anything more on Gary because they don't feature so hmm Gary and Sarah done yes this is what I would like to happen I would like for Adam to come back and that Sarah and Adam become a thing because Adam just really needs to get his hole oh god it's been so long seriously and Sarah's not a lesbian, and Sarah's not... Tick. <laughs> and Sarah's not currently seeing anyone. Tick. She's not married. Tick. Although, it's, again, the characters have to be constantly in relationships. On a soap opera, yeah. Mm, pretty much. So that's getting Sarah and Sinead and the X Factor Kirk... So that's the Bertie stuff done. Yeah. We seem to have forgotten about the cancer now. Well, no, she had her last treatment, so she's done. The tinkers are presumably going to crawl back to whatever rock they came out of. Oh, yeah, I think this Kirk X Factor thing has legs. Now, he I was don't... on the X Factor. No, in, he wasn't. In 2010. Was he? Mm-hmm. This is no another way. thing that the show has forgotten about, because the show forgot that... <clears throat> 
The like show. in real life, the actor was on the X Factor. No, the on the show. What the show forgot that Maria had been married and engaged, and it also forgot that Kirk was on the X Factor as Kirk as part of the fiftieth uh, anniversary. <laughs> part of the fiftieth anniversary, he went on the X Factor. I think it was just—I don't know if it was actually Coronation Street or if it was just a a little special. Right. But, but he went on as Kirk in front of Simon Cowell in front of an audience at the X Factor and sang Kings of Leon Sex on Fire <laughs> and he sang it very well yes you can so, tell he's got a good voice so fast forward like eight and a half years <laughs> oh god now he's talking like he's never been on it no and he doesn't know how to sing right Although it's obvious that he knew how to sing at Birdie's Do. It's like the next day, all of a sudden, he, he's pitchy. Yeah. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm still entertained by this. <laughs> Me too. I hope they don't muck it up. Yeah. I hope they don't overdo it mm. and over-egg it. Yeah. So far, it's been just enough. Yeah, so far, so good. Yeah. All right. Lay it on me. What happened... Oh, actually, I I know, you know what happened. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I actually did have time in between this and uh, going to see Earth's Mightiest Heroes. So, yeah, I know what happened. You cannot trick me. No, there's no lies in here. No. That's a shame. I was looking forward to doing that. Oh, you can still try. So, our final story for tonight is the uh, conclusion Peter. of the Peter and... And Johnny to the rescue. So Ken is out about to walk Eccles when the cops roll up and announce that they have news about Carla. We don't find out what it is, but later Peter turns up at the Rovers and the police have told them that she's been spotted going into that house they were at the other day. And her debit card has been used. Yeah. Rather than leave it to the police, Peter wants Johnny to join him in going to the house. And Kate picks up on this. She thinks Peter will do anything before going to the police. Right. And she's exactly right. And this is kind of what I think. Absolutely. And she admits that she was the one who actually called the cops the other day. It wasn't uh, it, Simon and it wasn't John. So it wasn't Simon. That's, <coughs> that's interesting. Then why was Simon so insistent that Ken didn't call the police? I wonder if Simon called the police as well. Well, Simon was probably in the house and saw that Ken wasn't on the phone to anybody. Maybe. Peter accuses her of hounding Carl away and then demands to know if Johnny is with him or not. Ugh. Then... Nick is at home making arrangements to speak with the loss adjusters this afternoon. And then comes Toy, who starts quizzing Nick about how tough it is to run the factory himself. He must be dead anxious in that, what with Carla knowing the problem with the roof. Nick deflects fairly well and says the factory has survived worse. So Johnny and Peter arrive back at the house and try to barge their way in. Peter pulls the wood off a window and climbs in. Johnny sees him do it and thinks, fuck that, I'll just hang back, thanks very much. Yeah. So Peter lets Johnny in, and they see the dodgy guy from the other day. Where's Carla? Peter tells Johnny to look upstairs, but this makes the dodgy guy start spilling some info. She was here, but she left. Where, asks Peter, and the guy doesn't know. So Peter starts roughing him up and strangling him, and Johnny pulls Peter off, so to speak. I'm sorry, am I keeping you up? Yeah, <laughs> sorry. The dodgy guy says that the police made Carla very anxious, plus she wasn't very happy to learn that Peter was sniffing around. She couldn't get away quick enough. Johnny leaves his number with the guy, and the two of them leave. And, and as the soon as he's gone, the guy just basically throws, throws the, the paper away. away. Peter is smoking a cigarette, leaning against the taxi. He thinks Carla might be dead. 
They get in the car and then we find that Carla was in the house all along. Of she course was hiding she was. upstairs. The caller was in the house. The dodgy guy thinks Carla needs to leave now. Jog on, princess, he says. So did the police not search this house? Apparently not. No, they just told... <laughs> they probably figured they would let Peter know and then Peter could do their work for So strange. <laughs> then Joe arrives at the community centre. Remember Joe? She's there to see Nick. She, she's yeah, been she impressed uh, with the last order that got out on time and she's glad uh-huh. that they're back on track but clearly unimpressed with the new working environment. But she seems to still be impressed with a certain Nick. You think so? I felt that she was a wee bit flirty there yeah, with maybe. our Nick. Back home, Peter is flipping coasters and ironing up a bottle of whiskey on the sideboard. He picks it up when Simon comes home and he quickly puts it back again. Simon's got some banter about one of his mates dyeing his hair in an attempt to look like Slim Shady, but ends up looking like Boris Johnson. Simon suggests checking online for more messages about Carla when he gets a text from Addy. Peter tells him to go and see him and hang out for a while, which Simon does. So now he's got the house to himself. Peter gets a bottle and gets a glass and sits at the table. And it's a rather fantastic scene of a troubled Peter first taking a sniff of the booze, then pouring a glass, and then moving the glass further away from him. And I really got the sense of the struggle that was going on inside him. And the, yeah, that was really the well demons done. he was he was fighting. Correct. Random fact of the week. The whiskey in question is Glen Gorn. Which doesn't really exist. Which isn't a thing. There'll be another random fact of the week next week. So it's kind of a play on Glen Livet and... Uh, Glen Morangy. Yeah. And... Glen Fiddich and yes. probably All the a other million Glens. other Glens. Yes, so this is Glen. Glen Close. Glen Gorn. Nick is making excuses to Joe. He's desperate for work. Meanwhile, Eileen, who doesn't work at the factory slash community centre, is at the factory slash community centre. Right, she's looking for some... It's a community centre and she's a member of the community. Yep, so she tells Nick to sling his suit when he starts complaining about her presence. Joe says, phone me when everything's back to normal. She can't be associated with him just now with the police, with the police sniffing around. Once they're in the clear and they're set up again, they can talk business then. Mm-hmm. Back at home, well, Peter has succumbed to his temptations and has had a drink and he's having another one. It doesn't touch the sides and he pulls yeah, another. He and he cries or he laughs with a glass against his head. Later still, Peter staggers into the rovers absolutely steaming. Yep. More whiskey, says. Jenny refuses him, as does Emma, and Johnny wants them to go through the back. Peter does a pretty good drunk here, and he thinks Carla might be dead. Kate says Carla has more lives than a cat. Peter points to a beer mat and says, there better be a drink on that when I come back from taking a piss. And there is not. No. Johnny has left Ken a voicemail because Ken's not answering his phone today, nor is Tracy, according to Jenny. Inman is quite interested to learn that Peter has fallen off the wagon. Then Peter comes back and he doesn't have a drink. He's pissed and starts to play million pound drop with himself for some reason. Jenny says that she's going to text Ken. And Peter bets that he'll say self-destruct, self-sabotaged, liver failure. It's bingo. Johnny refuses to serve Peter, so Peter just walks behind the bar and grabs a bottle anyway. He does pay for it, though. He does pay for it, and Jenny says it's just going to go to Dev's, so reluctantly, Johnny lets him take the bottle. And Peter apologises, and then he leaves. Right, yeah, like, it was weird. Like, all of a sudden, he he sobers up to apologise, and then walks out like a drunk. Yeah. Then Nick is meeting the loss adjuster, Helen, at the flat. Yeah, her name is Helen. Yay! Nick admits he's desperate for cash and wonders when they're going to pay out. Helen says the decision is on hold until the police investigation is over. Yeah, she does. And Nick is furious at this. 
He has bills and wages to pay and new premises to get. It's not his fault Carla was nuts. Whole hazelnuts, he says. Which is a uh, advertising slogan from the 80s and 90s. Ha ha. What about diminished responsibility? There's nothing Helen can do while the police are aggressively investigating the incident. Nope. And at this point, Toya's coming. Don't mind me, she says, but Helen's done anyway. As soon as they get the all clear, Underworld will be a priority. And Nick shows her out. Toya asks if the factory might go under, and Nick says, I'm just laying it on thick for the benefit of the loss adjuster. Yeah, he's not, though. Which is bullshit. Then Ken finds Peter, and he's drinking in the gunnel. He says that he's killing himself. Carla was the love of Peter's life, he says. Rubbish, says Ken. The booze is the love of his life. That's Carla right. is a runner-up, and Correct. Simon is a distant third place. Yeah, poor Si. Peter doesn't care, and he wants to drink himself into oblivion. Ken says he's in self-destruct mode and will go into liver failure. Peter, again playing a very credible drunk, is thrilled that he's won his own game of bingo and he wags a finger at Ken while he smiles maniacally. Right. And he also, he seems to acknowledge a little bit that Ken is right and is kind of insinuating that that's exactly what he wants. He wants his liver to fail. He wants to die. Yeah. But then side number one, Peter is still drinking. Ken wants him sober before Simon sees him, but Simon is in the front room and it's too late. That's right. And this seems to give Peter a bit of a shock. Yes. Then at the Rovers, Detective Toya is speaking to Johnny about Peter. Johnny explains about the squat and just missing Carla, who was apparently there. Toya wonders if Peter knows about the potential sabotage and the aggressive investigation. Maybe it was an insurance job. Johnny says it couldn't have been Carla because she came clean. She wouldn't have been in line for a payout. And at this, Toya sucks a very thoughtful tooth. Yeah, she does. She's on to... She's on to Nick. Yeah, she is. Right, because Emran already kind of suspected Nick yeah. last week. Mm-hmm. So this is Toya kind of putting the pieces together for her man. I'm enjoying Toya doing this. Me too. Yeah, she's pretty good at it. Simon says, right, you fucker. If you're having a drink, I'm having a drink. And he grabs his own glass and pours himself a whiskey. Peter doesn't want Simon to see him like this. Well, you should have thought about that before you got hammered. And Ken doesn't think that this is a very good idea. No. Peter doesn't want to play mind games. No. Peter's not a fan of mind games. He's nope. mentioned this a few times. Let's get wired in, says Simon. Peter just wants space. Everything he needs is in that bottle. Well, thanks a bunch, says Simon. Then to- I'm going to drink it too. Tomorrow is another day, says Peter. But Simon thinks that he'll just hate himself more. Peter says that's impossible. Simon asks if Peter hates himself more than he loves Simon. Interesting question, says Ken. Peter says he loves Simon more than he will ever know, and channeling his inner massive attack, Simon reminds Peter that love is a verb, love is a doing word. Peter is done with doing, he just needs a drink. And so does Simon, but Peter grabs his glass and throws it against the wall. You'll be clearing that shit up, says Ken. And then Simon breaks down. He doesn't want Peter dead, and Peter is sorry. He hugs his son and he begs Ken for help, and Ken takes the bottle away. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Oofed! That was a fantastic scene at the end there. Yes, it was. I think that's our moment of the week, don't you? I don't think we even need to discuss it, do we? No, we don't. That's our moment of the week. It was just, I think, the best I've seen Simon. Yeah. Yeah, me too. He was incredibly good. Yeah. All of the... all of the kids on this show have really stepped it up in the past couple of months. Yep. I thought Friday's show in particular was was great. Yeah. Yes. I loved it. Much better week this week mm-hmm. than last week. 
But that oh. scene with the three of them was just so charged, and Peter had done such a fantastic job in the build-up that we really we just felt his pain so much, mm-hmm. and his struggle against these these temptations and right. just feeling oh just destroyed by what's been going on. And I started saying, well, maybe maybe he's has been genuine about this. Yeah. Maybe I'm on the wrong, maybe. the wrong track. I don't know. Maybe. But that was fantastic. So where did you think we are going with? With this thing, because Carla's briefly back. Yeah, but then she runs and off she, again. She's going to run away again. Yeah. They'll eventually find her, I would think. I would hope. That was another thing about Peter falling off the wagon. He was always going to fall off the wagon at some right. point. Yeah. And after nearly five years of... I know, that's really heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, but it had to happen because yeah. it's a soap. And I'm just so glad that they did it as right. well as they did. Boring of the moment of the week? Oh, the Abbey stuff was quite dull. It was just a couple of stupid yeah. wee scenes. There was nothing really else that was all that boring, I don't think. Yeah, not even Daniel was boring this week. Not even Chesney was boring this week. Chesney was boring, but in a, in but tr- not really in a moment that was no, boring. No, Yeah. Oh, just the Abbey storyline with Brian. Fine. Then that's our... Boring moment of the week. It is... Oh, Jesus, it's nearly one o'clock. Yes, it is. And you've been yawning like a gale force wind for the past <laughs> 32 minutes. Yeah, so, sorry about that. Long day. Yeah, so now I've got to go and edit this. So, if you want to get in contact with us, you could phone and leave a voicemail, but I never listen to those things, so you'd be better off emailing us or skyping us at thetalkofthestreetgmail.com, tweeting or facebooking us at Corey Podcast, and you can always have a little nosy around our blog, which is thetalkofthestreetpodcast.wordpress.com. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. We will be back next week with episode 50 and a cheeky wee interview as bonus content. Cheerio. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.